We're in a series, church, called Overcoming Hurts, Habits, and Hang-Ups. Hang-Ups. I got kind of hung up on that word this week, thinking about it. Because, let's be honest, we all got them. We're all hung up on something. Some things that really, you know, bother us. Like, for example, if you have kids, or specifically teenagers, maybe this bothers you. Or maybe your kids don't do it. Maybe they love the Lord so much. But, you know, sometimes kids will take a shower, you know, with a brand new towel. And, and wipe their clean body. And then that towel ends up in the dirty clothes. Just like that. And then, then the next day there's a new towel that they use one time. And it's in the dirty clothes. See that's happened at my house a few times. And when that happens. I, I got to have a, a you know, come to Jesus meeting. And I'm like kids. Let me, let, me tell you, let, let me tell you about back in my day. And they're like oh here we go. That's right here we go. Back in my day. Back in my day kids when I was in college. First of all there was communal showers. And uh, that'll take you backward in your walk with Jesus. I'm just saying. So when you get to share a shower with five other people, I mean, it's, that's not for the faint of heart. So I said, that was number one. Number two is when I would go to the shower, I, I'd have to leave my dorm room, right? 301, Journey Hall, Aberdeen, South Dakota. Leave my dorm room, put my towel around my waist, and walk all the way down the hallway. Jump into the communal shower, you know, black that out of my mind. And then I get done. Put the towel back on, walk all the way back to my dorm room, and, and, and put the t- hang the towel back up. I said, I did that every day. And that, I used that same towel. Didn't wash it one time, I said. Didn't, at, the, at the end of the day, I didn't have to hang it up. It would just kind of stand over in the corner by itself. It was awesome. So I'm like, why can't you be more like your dad? I mean, I didn't, and speaking of hang-ups, don't even get me started. This, will, this won't take long, but unsubscribe to emails. I, I, I don't even understand. Okay, when you unsubscribe to an email, and, and then it says, enter your email, what are you talking about? You've been emailing me six times, six days. I mean, you have my email. You don't need it. And then when I enter it, what do they do? They send you an email saying you've unsubscribed. I'm like, you, there's a special place in hell. Anyway, so we've all got some hang-ups, if we're honest. So this series is on, it, the premise is recovery. And recovery isn't just drugs or alcohol. Get that out of your mind right now. Recovery is a lot of different things that you struggle with and I struggle with. So the premise of recovery is built on four practical steps. Four, like the foundation of recovery. Last week we looked at step number one, pivotal. If you missed the message, you got to check it out on YouTube. Uh, It's on surrender. And we waved the white flag and we said, if we're going to overcome our issue, we got to admit we have an issue. It's not going to happen unless you see it and and, and admit it. Well, this week, we move from surrender to sharing. Say sharing. Now, let me get specific about what I mean. I'm talking about sharing our struggles, sharing our temptations with another person. And in doing so, it helps others recognize and acknowledge their struggles and their shortcomings. So that's a whole big way of saying confession. Now that word, I mean, right, right, right away if someone got triggered, maybe it freaked you out. Because confessing, that's like I go back to Catholic grade school in the third grade. It's when it started for me. And, and, and Tanya, when I was in grade school, in third grade and fourth grade, we didn't have to go face to face with the priest. They, did, they took the pressure off. So you could you go in the little, you know, like you see in the movies, the confessional booth. And it's got the screen and just the outline of the person, kind of like you're in the witness protection program. So, uh, so you're in there. But yet, even in the third grade, I was, I was still deceitful. I mean, I'm like lying in the confessional. So I'm like, you know, he's going to start talking to me. And 
we're a small school, Salem St. Mary's, and I don't want them to know my sins, so I'm going to change my voice. Yeah, this is, these are the things I think. And so Father Thurry's like, tell me, son, when was your last confession? And I'm like, <clears throat> my last confession. I'm sure he's like, my gosh, Monty, I know it's you. <laughs> what is your problem? I'm like, well, you're about to find out all my problems, because here we go. So, I, but confession, they, the, my, my, my Catholic grade school, they, they got that right. That, that confession, I think it's something that's so missing now in the day that we live in. Like, we've gotten so far away from it. And it's, the, it's, it's, the, it's, it's one of the number one things that will hold you back. It's because you hold it in. James is the brother of Jesus. He wrote, he, he wrote a book. It's in the Bible called James. Go figure. In the book, in the New Testament, he says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be what? We'll confess our sins to God all day long. That, that's not hard for most people. But to confess to another person those deep, dark things, those deep, dark secrets, and I'm, I'm telling you something. People, many of you probably, maybe, many of you listening or watching online, you're walking around with pains, hurts, shame, guilt, because you, you haven't brought yourself to the point, or maybe you haven't found the right person, where you can actually share really what's going on, really what you've done, really who you've hurt. And because of that, it holds you back. This is so huge. It's why it's one of the four pillars. So the main teaching today, I'm so excited about this. If you brought your Bible or you got your phone Bible app, I want you to turn to or click to Luke 15. And uh, if you don't have those things, bring them. Keep bringing them because the Lord's going to speak directly to you. But we're, I'm all, we also always put it up on the screen as well. But I love when you, when you own it because you're going to want to underline and highlight the Lord, what he's saying. Luke 15, Jesus is telling a story about a, a child who is selfish. A child who doesn't want anything really to do with the family anymore. He wants what he wants and he's going to go do his own thing. Like this son of his. And the story, Jesus illustrates it, in Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus is illustrating a point. I'll tell you later the specific point he's illustrating. Jesus tells a story. A guy, a man, a father had two sons. A younger son, the younger son, told his dad, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So the father agreed, even though it wasn't normal, even though it was disrespectful, for him to even say that, the father agreed to divide the wealth and give him his portion of an inheritance, right? A few days later, he packed his bags, all his belongings, and he moved as far away as he could, the Bible says, to a distant land. What did that say? He wanted to get far from his family, do his own thing, live his own life. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Like, good thing none of us have ever done anything stupid like that, but he... He did that. About the time when everything was gone, right? His money ran out. A great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him into the field to feed his pigs. The young man became so hungry. This is crazy. Even the pods, even the pig food looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. Some of you, you've had these moments. Others, you might be in the moment. I call it the pig pen moment. 
It's the moment when you're at, you're at this crossroads. Like Samson, like last week we talked about Samson. Big strong dude in the Bible. He had this pig pen moment where he was losing it. He lose, losing his mind, getting angry. And because so, his, his wife was murdered. His father-in-law was murdered. He was at a pig pen moment. He's like, okay, I've, I've got to do something here. I've got to make a big decision here. You will make thousands of decisions today, you and me both. You'll make maybe one or two this week or this month that are these pig pen moment decisions. They're, they're, they're pivotal. They're more pivotal than others. They're big. And those decisions, you need to know your decisions today impact the direction of your life tomorrow. I'll say it a different way. Your decisions today determine the direction That's a better way to say it. Your decisions today determine the direction of your life. I maybe didn't put that on a slide, but if I did, it would look good right up on the screen. Your decisions today determine the direction that your life takes tomorrow. He's at this decision. This, 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 This son who's wasted everything. Listen to what the Bible says. Verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Self? At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. But here, I'm dying of hunger. And that statement is probably, he probably hasn't ate for days. Unlike sometimes maybe when our kids say, oh, I'm done. I'm starving. I'm so hungry. And then they literally walk walk into a pantry, right, with food after you've done your grocery shopping, and then they utter the words, we have nothing to Can you believe it? I always tell my kids, them's fighting words. You don't, don't be, don't, no, now you're cooking for yourself tonight and for the rest of the week. So this guy was legitimately starving. So, So he's at this pig pen moment. I almost picture it like he's with the pigs in the mud in the pen. I just picture him. He's down, he's with them. He might even be laying there in the mud, looking up to the sky. Porky sitting right next to him, you know. And he's just contemplating in a pig pen moment. And he's like, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go home today. I'm going to talk to my dad. I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell him, this is what I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell him I've sinned against you, dad. I've sinned against heaven. I'm going to tell him I'm no longer even worthy Dad, to even be called your son. Just, just hire me as a hired servant. That's what I'm going to tell him. And he turns to Porky and says, what do you think? And Porky's like, so that didn't help. So, you know, <laughs> but that's, he, he has this thought. And understand, in the moment in the mud, it's a humble moment. Humility leads to Authenticity. Don't miss this. Humility leads to authenticity. And when you finally get real, you'll begin to heal. This is so key that you catch this. This is where he's at. He's so humble with the pigs. So he does it. Listen to what he does. Verse 20, so he returns home to his father. And while he's still a long way off, his father sees him coming. Filled with love and compassion. He runs to his son. Embraces him. Kisses him. His son says exactly the way he rehearsed it. He says, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
But his father, almost like interrupting him, says, quick, to his servants. This is crazy. Bring the finest robe. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Kill that, that calf, that fat one that we've been fattening up for a feast like this. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead. But now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Look up here. When you and I get real, when you and I finally confess our mess, when we finally get real and we finally confess to somebody else, listen to me, that is cause for celebration. That is cause to, to, to throw the party. Why is it such a big deal? Because so few will ever get to that point. So few will ever share. So few will ever confess. So few do this. He did it. Proverbs 28, 13, I, I love what it says. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. It hurts you. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy and don't miss it. That's exactly what the Father gave. And as much as you maybe have heard this story preached before, and maybe you never have, I'll almost guarantee you, you, you maybe have never heard this. What is the reason that the son was able to even make the decision to go home? What is the reason that he could contemplate in his head, it's an option. I, I, I could always go home. I mean, I don't know if I'll ever be a son again, but I'll, I'll be a slave to his or something. Why is that even an option? Why did he feel like he could, he could, he could possibly do that? I'll tell you why. It's, it's in the text. You just got to see it. Remember when the son was coming home? It said the father saw him from a long way off. So the father's been looking for the son day in and day out. It says that when he got home, he interrupted the son. Remember? Get the sandals. Get the, get the, kill the calf. Get the ring. Get the robe. Kissing him. Embracing him. You know from the response of his dad... That his dad loved him unconditionally. You, you know from the response of the son that the, that the father loved him unconditionally. The fact that it was an option. It's so, it's so key. Now, here's what I bet. I'm, I'm going to guess here. I don't think the son expected a celebration. From, from his comments to Porky and his comments to his dad, I don't think he was expecting, oh my gosh, you're going to treat me like royalty you're going to seat me in heavenly places and you're going to celebrate around me i don't believe he probably thought that was coming <laughs> but the grace of the father the enemy wants you to keep you where you're at he wants you to believe that that the response from whoever you you, you confess to is not going to be good that you're going to be judged or condemned or worse yet rejected and and here's the sad truth there are people here today, there are people watching and listening, you, you, don't, you don't go home, you don't confess, you don't share, because you don't have a safe person to do it with. And that's, that, that should not be the case. That should not be the case. Praise God, the Father loved him so unconditionally that he knew, okay, going home could be an option. Do we have that in our lives? I wrote it down if we don't have anybody that we can get real with, here's what we do. We hold on to our weight. We hold on to our secrets. We hold on to the, to the mess. And by the way, secrets, the more you hold on to them, the more unhealthy you will be. 
And don't be confused. Secrecy is not the same as privacy. They are two different things, so that's important to discern. I'll put this up for sure. Secrecy is hiding things from others, and that makes you more unhealthy. Privacy is withholding. Privacy is withholding some details for the purpose of healing. That's the difference. And and also for the sake of others. There are some things you shouldn't share. Can we get real? Like, oh my gosh, I... I went to Taco Bell last night. That's going right through me. I'm going to go and post on the internet. No! Walk away from the keyboard and the nine-layer burrito. You know what I'm saying? So some things we don't need to... You'll know. God will show you. You know the secrets. You know what's holding you back. But privacy is also a very valuable thing as well. So it takes prayer as you discern those things. Are you that safe person in someone's life? Are you like the father in the story where someone, anyone, maybe someone close to you, maybe someone that you're married to or that you've, you, you've raised, could come to you with, 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 a, with an out-of-the-blue comment that you didn't see coming? Would you respond in a safe way? I'm not saying it'd be easy. Are you that person in someone else's life? I, I, Galatians, the, the, the apostle Paul wrote a lot of the letters by the power of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And Galatians was one of those letters. Listen to what he writes it to the church and to you and I. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Now be careful when you do it. Because we don't want you falling into the same temptation yourself. But you're to share each other's burdens. And in this way, you, you obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Well, I mean, he said all the law and all the prophets can be summed up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law of Christ. This, this is why small groups are so critical. In our church, big time. Last week, I was blown away. If you were here, you heard you heard Destry and Rachel share some prayers that had been answered in some of our small groups, and I'm just like, I looked at all the feedback from a lot of the groups. Over 20 prayers were not just prayed but answered by God. I'm like, God moves so mightily when we get together and we get real. We heal in so many ways, and plus His power is just personified. It's just magnified. So. I start looking through more of these comments about what's happening in our small groups. I'm going to highlight four of them quickly. Just just so you know, the power of sharing and the power of confiding and the power of trusting and the power of confessing. These are anonymous. A member in our group is currently going through a heavy, difficult time. Wonder if that's anybody in this place along with that person. They are leaning on us. They're leaning on the group for support and encouragement. And my first thought when I read that, where would they, who would they be leaning on if they didn't have their group? Maybe there's someone else in their life. I just know that this comment says they're leaning heavily on their group. And I like that because I know that the group is pursuing Jesus. And that's a good thing. Another one says, a member reached out to their mom who they hadn't spoken to in months. He invited her, get this, he invited her and his sister to church. 
So he goes from not speaking at all to now inviting to, the, to his faith family. Family is one of the most difficult things. Family is one of the biggest struggles. Now, if you're sitting with family right now, I'm sure it's not your family. I'm talking about other families, right? So, but family seems to be a struggle for us, doesn't it? The next one personifies that. A member is going to, a member is going to be having a conversation with their dad. Here we go. About a relationship with Jesus. Is there anything more important? It's the next comment that gets me. He was convinced that the, when he first started the group, he would never do that. He would never talk to his dad about faith things or faith issues. And now he's doing exactly that. Confiding. Courage. Someone opened up and got prayer for something. Someone opened up and got prayer for something they've been harboring for over 14 years. Can you imagine? Some of you can. 14 years. And they get into a, a small group and they feel like, I can do this. The leader said it was a huge step. I love, these are the leader's words. It was a huge step in the healing process. Leader, I would agree. And the last one, maybe it gets me the most just because of my addiction background. A member opened up about an addiction issue they recently fell back into. I don't know if there's anything worse. Is there anything worse than tasting freedom and then choosing to go back into slavery? Is there anything worse than having people that you love and you care about finally see you living a life that they've been praying about, hoping for, trusting in, and now they're trusting you, and then you go back? A member opening up about addiction that they recently fell back into, they're picking themselves back up with God's help. I know a little bit more of that story, and I talked to that person, and here's what they told me. Outside of the group, I'm gone from the church. I'm not leaning into my faith family. I'm running and isolating from it out of guilt and shame. Every other time, and this has happened more than once to this person, like it does for many people that struggle in addiction, this person said, I mean, here's more to the story. That person not only got real and confessed, they did it like that day. That day, they had group that night. And the person said, I would never. Normally I would be flying the other way, a downward spiral back into addiction. Instead, they catch it, they lean into the group, and the group, probably a little bit shocked at what they're hearing, they don't, confess, they don't convey shock, they convey love. They convey grace. It's, humility leads to authenticity. And it's when you get real that you finally can heal. I'm telling you, when you get real, that's when the shame will start to melt away. That's when the guilt that you cover is finally overshadowed with the grace of God. You know that grace of God, that big, audacious grace, bigger than any problem you have, any mistake you've made, any secret, any sin. That grace is so big, it's not enough just to like heal you. God's grace is enough to save you. That's good news, somebody. It's a big deal. Grace is huge. And I'll tell you exactly why. Love is a big deal, we would agree. Love matters. The Father loved the Son unconditionally. 
But it's his grace that really turned the son around. He, did, did he love the son when the son was sinning? Yes or no? Yeah. Did he love his son when his son was in the, in the pen with the pigs? Yes. But it wasn't until the son turned, came to his senses, ran home, that the father could bestow grace. I forgive you. I'm not only going to forgive you, I will celebrate you. Grace is so crazy. This, this, This unmerited favor from God, despite who we are and what we've done. There are people that will misconstrue the gospel. And I've heard people say it. God's love... God's love will save you. No, it doesn't. That's false. Now, God's love is incredible. Don't hear me wrong. It's amazing. But it doesn't save you. I mean, for God so loved the world. Is the the entire world saved? Mm -mm. No. God's love is amazing. It's unconditional for all people created in his image. And that's all people. But God's love doesn't save us. God's grace is the key. The grace that we're talking about, it's so amazing. We are not saved by God's love. We are saved by, by, through our faith and God's grace. That is what saves you, right? Jesus, it's not about doing more good. Like maybe you've been taught or trained That's not what it's about, the gospel of salvation, being saved. It's not about doing more good. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to bring dead people back to life. That's what he's in the business of doing. That's what we're talking about. The grace of God abounds. But the son will never experience the grace unless unless he comes to his senses. And he turns and he starts heading home. See, there's something we must do by faith. God loves you. Has God, is God's grace cover you? I don't know. We'll talk about it. I desperately hope it does because that's what saves you. It's what saved the son. 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins to God, now this is to God, he's faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all your wickedness. Wow, I can't guarantee when you confess to somebody else, they'll do that. I hope you have people in your life like the Father that will. And I can promise you this, if you're in a group at Meadows Church, I can't promise you because there's, you know, people are people. But I, we train people to be people of love and grace so that you have a safe place to share what's going on, the mess you are, the, the stupid things you've done, the stupid things I've done. And there are people not, not condoning what you've done, not saying, oh, that's it. It's not, sin isn't okay. But God's grace is bigger. The grace, God's so quick to forgive. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he sent Jesus. So the picture of the prodigal son, by now you, you maybe a parallel, put it together. It, it, the story didn't happen. It's a, it's a parable. Jesus is illustrating it. You know, remember how it started? To illustrate this point, Jesus told the story. What point is Jesus illustrating? This is the point. People are messed up. People have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. People are lost. And I care deeply for them. There's a sheep that gets lost. There's a, a coin that gets lost. There's a son that gets lost. Jesus illustrates it over and over and over how much he loves to go after them. 
but he can't force them. The son's got to turn. If he stays in the pen with the pigs, it's not, a, it's not a good ending. It'll end like it ended for Samson. And that wasn't good. So the gospel, what I tell people, Jesus died on the cross for everybody to, to take away your sins. That's what his death did, if you allow him to. He, he rises from the dead, defeats sin and death and the devil, but, but, but you can still be in bondage and go to hell because you haven't did what the, the son did. The son was in the pen, defeated, dead in himself, and what does he do? He comes to his senses, has a conversation with Porky, and decides, you know what? I'm going back. I'm turning by faith. By faith, I trust that the Father will accept me. By faith, I trust that he will forgive me. By faith. By faith, I believe Jesus died for me. By faith, I believe he rose for me. By faith, I believe that my good works are nothing apart from him. I don't care how good I pastor or how big this church goes. There's a lot. That, do we want those things? Yes. Do they save you? No. The grace of God is what saves you by your faith. I like to say it this way. The son changed his mind. If you will change your mind today, in turn, God will change your heart, right? If you change your mind, God will change your heart. It'll take some time, but he'll do it as you pursue him. How do you know the son's heart was changed, pastor? Here's how I know. At the beginning of the story, you know what he was saying? Give me my inheritance. Give me my money. Give me, give me. Say, give me. Give me. At the end of the story, after leaving and turning and going back to the Father, all I heard him say was, forgive me. That's how you know. He went from give me to forgive me. And I'll close with this. My probably, it's, boy, it's hard to say my favorite scripture. It's one of my faves. Jesus speaking to the disciples is John 14, 6. Jesus is, is very inclusive who saved. Not because Jesus said it's only, Jesus is very clear about how it happens. But he is it. There is no other way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. And no one, say no one. No one goes to the Father, comes to the Father, unless they go through the Son. The key is the Son. The key is Jesus. And I look at the story of the prodigal son, and I see this scripture all over it. Was this, this, remember, the son was lost. He was lost. He was gone. He was desolate. And Jesus would say, I am the way. The son was senseless. The word of God said it. Jesus would say, I am the truth. And the son was dead in his sin, dead in his self, in a, in a pen with the pigs. And Jesus says, I am the life. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me will not perish, but will have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus promises. But you got to receive it. Just got to turn to him. Repentance is, is a big piece. That's just turning. If the son never does it, he, well, he's still, in the, he's, still, he's still lost. I hope you understand you're saved by God's grace through faith, believing Jesus is a sinless, spotless lamb of God, the savior of the world, that he died for you and then rose to show you his power and that one day that you're going to live again in, in a world called hell or heaven.
and heaven if you receive his, if you receive his grace by faith. The other action item I would have for you other than surrendering everything to Jesus today is to share with somebody. It's obviously what we're talking about. Some of you, after we sing, the prayer team will come up and, and the Holy Spirit is going to give you the, the courage and the boldness to, to pray with them and share something you've never shared before or maybe something you haven't shared in a long time or something new that you're doing that you know you shouldn't do. It's a safe place, I promise. If you can't do it here, I don't know where you would. Beyond that, our small groups are critical to our church. As we grow bigger, we must stay small in groups. That's how we stay connected and relational. There, there are sheets that show all of our life groups, our recovery group, um, our marriage group. They're all out there. If you're not in one of those groups yet, I, I, I would hope you'd at least go look and, and, and check out the dates and the times. And Man, you need people in your life. Following Jesus, I, I didn't even say this, but it was one of the points. Following Jesus is all about relationships. No, following Jesus is all about Jesus. Well, actually, Jesus was all about relationships. Like, like he literally died to have one with you. Following Jesus is all about relationships. I can promise you. God wants to meet you here today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much for your word and your truth. I thank you for <laughs> this message we see it, God. We're, we're the son. We've all gone astray. We've all done stupid things. We've all been selfish. We've all believed at one point in our life or multiple points in our life that our plan is going to be better than your plan, God. But the thing is, every time we live out our plan our way, it, it, it never works like your plan would. In fact, it, it always will backfire and work worse than we ever thought. This is why your word is so beautiful. You love us so much to show us a proper way, a good way, a perfect way, a pleasing way. That when we come to our senses, we have that pig pen moment and we're like, okay, I don't want this anymore. I want to turn. But you got to do something. If the son never confesses and goes back, nothing ever changes. Thank you for creating a safe environment where people can get prayer. Thank you for creating a church where, where, where groups, small groups are critical to the way we do life together. The reality is, God, as we grow as a church, if people want to come in on a Sunday and leave and, and just kind of hide in the crowd, it could happen. And the more we grow, the more likely that could happen. And the way we can combat that is through the power of your Holy Spirit and pointing people to each other and relationships. The more, God, I'm convinced that the key to reaching people is that. To, the key to people receiving the gospel is knowing that you want a relationship with us, that you came and died for us, that you rose for us, not just to meet us here, but to change us here. Father, would you have your way? We're gonna come to you and lay it all at your feet and thank you in advance that you're there waiting with arms wide open, grace-filled posture, just waiting to pick us back up, brush us off, and lead us to life, abundant life in you. In Jesus' name I pray and the church says. Hey, I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. But don't stop there. Like or subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single video, update, or message. And not only that, share this message with a friend or somebody that you know. So many people out there need hope and encouragement and you have the ability to bring that to them. Finally, if you're in the Omaha area, we would love to have you join us. We would love to meet you. 
God bless you.